the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show, we have Celia Sandia Daniels, an Asian Indian non-op trans woman of color who is an entrepreneur, musician, photographer, storyteller, activist, and filmmaker. So I, I know that you've done a lot of interviews and stuff, and we'll definitely get into it. Um, let's just start with, when did you first realize you were different, and how did that affect your childhood? And feel free to expand on however your childhood was. Yeah, of course. So I knew uh, I was born in India. I'm a South Asian. I was um, four years old. When I was four years old, my mom found um, me very strange because um, I was covering my head with my mom's sari and I was pretending to be a girl. My mom found that very interesting and she kept asking me, you know, why are you covering your head? And I said, I'm a girl. Hmm. And that's the way I started um, realizing that, uh, you know, she thought I was just playing. But as I was growing older and older, um, when I was around seven years old, I remember my mom telling me that you should not dress up anymore because you're a boy. And um, I realized that this was something wrong. Only then I knew it was wrong. Um, so that's the time I actually realized that there was something different about me. I liked being a girl. And so that was where, um, you know, I, I would say probably four years old. Okay. So yeah, you you realized first that you were a girl and then it wasn't until society, your parents obviously, started to kind of try and push you in the other direction that you're like, wait, this is not right. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so when did you first uh, realize or identify as as non as non-binary or or yeah, you said you you, you you don't define yourself as trans, right? You said just non-binary. I'm a gender non-binary. I would say non-op trans. Non-op trans. Okay. So you do consider yourself okay. trans, uh, non-op. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when did you first come to the realization that that was the proper way to identify you? So I think it took a while, you know, especially when you're, um, I was born in the early uh, 60s, I mean, uh, early 70s. And when I first came out um, and I started, you know, realizing that I was different, um, most of the time after I went to college and people started uh, identifying in two spectrums, either you're a cross-dresser or you're a transsexual. Mm-hmm. So I was at a point where I didn't know, I didn't fit uh, in both of you, in both of those genders. You know, it was really hard for me either to, sorry, not genders, um, that, um, I would say blocks of spectrum where people thought, you know, it's either you're a cross-dresser or transgender uh, or a transsexual. Of the, of the wider spectrum. They've got the, the narrow slices. Right that they understand and define, and then there's so much more in between, right? That's when I, I identified as not, I didn't identify as a cross-dresser because it wasn't a dressing issue. And I didn't identify as a transsexual because it wasn't about my sexuality. It was more about my gender and it was in my head. Mm-hmm. So I think that was what I was trying to discover. And it took a while. And probably in 2011, um, I went to a lot of conferences. I started studying about who am I? And that's when I really realized that um, I didn't hate my male gender. Um, I liked, you know, that male gender of mine, and I also loved more the female gender of mine. So um, that's why I don't um, I identify as gender fluid more, and um, I express more as a trans feminine woman because this is more of the shame that I always hid in my life, and I was so happy to have found that uh, I can still live in both genders. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's so many trans people, ha- um, I mean, just so many, so many of us in society feel like it's so important to define ourselves. And yeah. we we have that definition thrust on us, on most of us, and breaking yeah. free from that is, is hard on, on the, as the first step. But then beyond that, like, what is, is my new definition? And then in order to understand ourselves and define ourselves, we, we feel like we have to find what that specific term is and, and nail ourselves mm-hmm. down to it. And instead of like understanding more of the fluidity and how, how it's a spectrum, but also how it changes throughout our lives. And, you know, sometimes you're, you, you might identify completely as trans. Sometimes you're not, maybe it's more gender fluid, more non-binary. But I think it's we're too quick to try and define those for ourselves. 
one of the reasons is we have to know that in order to describe ourselves to people. People see that there's something going on with us, and they are at, they ask us all these questions, and so you know it's important for us to have the the definition. But that I think that just makes it more of a struggle, right? It is, um, you know, especially when you try to identify and help them understand that gender fluidity is um, where you identify in a binary, actually. So you're either, um, you know, either uh, Daniels or you're Celia, and that's how I identify myself. But most of all, I love to identify as Celia a lot because um, that is what is important to me. And I don't believe that I wanted to um, change my gender. I mean, I didn't want to do the gender reassignment surgery because I believe that it's important for me to, um, you know, respect the gender that I was born and also, um, you know, um, live in the gender that I prefer. So it's both my birth gender and my preferred gender. I'm able to express in both as uh, Daniels and Celia. Nice. Do you do you consider yourself religious or spiritual? I do. Um, I consider myself as a, I'm a Christian by um, through my parents. My father was a Hindu, and he became a Christian mm. while he was uh, 15 years old. So my entire family, uh, you know, we all became Christians, and I uh, grew up in a Christian household. So for me, uh, relationship with God was very important than uh, religion or uh, I mean, I would say I'm spiritual. But that relationship with God was so important to me than. Um, it's the religious part of it. <laughs> I can explain later, in, you know, in the conversation why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just seemed that that your ability to find that balance between loving and accepting the gender that you were born in, and loving and accepting the gender that you feel you truly are, and allowing them to coexist, it 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 seems like mm-hmm. kind of an old world, almost like a some kind of Buddhist philosophy or or something along those lines. That's why I I started to assume that that was it i'm surprised that that your religious ba- background is is christian because yeah christianity is is again very defined i know there's so much going on in christianity it's it's a lot of mess uh, especially with the evangelical community um but i think i found my niche because uh, um through my struggles and pain i found there was a, a god who was listening to me I spend a lot of my time, my spirituality on the beach, to sit on the beach and cry my heart out. Because I didn't know, I didn't have any therapy at the time, I didn't have any doctors, I didn't want to talk to my parents because they would just say, you know, hey, something is wrong, you know, you need to get yourself fixed. Um, so when you're living in India, you're living in a situation where the society itself is very ostracized and, um, you know, you may not be able to come out and say, I am. I'm a boy and I like to uh, be a girl, um, that's not going to work. And especially in the Christian community, it was a big honor back in India as well. Hmm. So um, did did you transition in India before you came over to the United States? Um, I would say my life, um, I would say I probably wanted to um, explore what what was going on. I didn't understand what was going on for a very long time because I remember, um, I, I always lived in denial, I would say. You know, <laughs> while I was dreaming to be a girl, I thought that I could get away with this. You know, I didn't want this. I I, I, I hated it because it, it kind of, um, and there were times when I was a child and I had gone out the first time. And that's probably my first coming out experience, and I it, it didn't go out very well. And I was caught by some construction workers, and um, I was in my ninth grade, and they started making fun of me. Um, not just making fun of me, but they actually called a lot of uh, derogatory words in um, the native language. Mm-hmm. And almost nine people were standing around me and making fun of me, and they were pointing fingers at me, saying that this person is a HR boy. And that was such an insulting thing to me because I did not expect, you know, men to, or I would say grown-up people to discriminate a child, a nine-year-old child, and I was standing in a skirt and just, I didn't know what to do. And one thing that hit me was, why do they hate me so much? I didn't do anything wrong. I, I'm just dressed like a girl. Why do they hate me so much? And that was the end of my coming out in India. Okay. And I came back home and I started crying and I wanted to kill myself. I was afraid to die and I was afraid to live because it was a very difficult situation where 
I didn't know what to do. I was just stuck between the devil and the deep sea kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. So from that point on, you kind of the the term, the general term is you went closeted, right? You kind of put it away and and tried to avoid it. I was, yeah. I, I I didn't want to come out because it was really hard for me to come out. And also, the society doesn't accept. Um, you know, when you're living in India, it's more a patriarchal community. Mm. Being a boy is very uh, privileged. Uh, being a man is privileged, and for me to come out as a girl is not a privilege. You know, it's it's like why would you do that? You know, it's it's crazy. So I was at this time where I did not know um, um, what to do with my life, and I was always struggling. So was always a closet in my in my college there was always a closet in my workspace I mean, when i was working back in india i always lived in the shadows i always came out in the dark and i did not want to come out in india and um it was so difficult for me to not be able to express and my dream was to just live my life as a girl, you know, um, at least give me a few minutes. I just want to live those few minutes as a girl. And I was literally struggling for this few minutes and few seconds as a girl. And I remember times when I used to just slip on a skirt and sit for a while till my mom comes. She'd say, I'm coming in 25 minutes. And 25 minutes was like huge time for me. You know, I loved those 25 minutes. I know we have all been through that. And that's the way I lived. Yeah, but that, it was I- really hard. Yeah, I really definitely hard. remember those times when it uh, before I came out. Well, before I even had it, mm. I, I, I was able to identify or understand what was going mm. on. Those 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 stolen moments of of being able to to dress in a skirt or something like that, and it felt so wonderful and yet so horrible at the same time. You felt like I, I was married at the time. I felt like I was cheating or doing something horribly wrong was was ruining my marriage all of these things and yet that draw that 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 feeling that, that I got from being able to do that to express that part of me was so incredibly amazing. euphoric it, yeah it was amazing it was it was impossible to avoid a uh, little tangent yeah. that was one of the things that I first started to realize that maybe I was okay as this you know because we have all this um, negative these negative voices in our head and in society uh what the the first story that that i read that helped me was people on a forum were talking about the purge and how much it cost them oh so yeah what they'd all done is they'd gone through <laughs> and they'd thrown away all their all their clothes they donated it all away they had families and kids and they couldn't afford to lose them so they were putting their their foot down on themselves and they were they were not going to do this anymore they were done with it and six months a year two years later they'd have to buy it all back because it was just a part of them and um you know this was this was the the amount of money it cost them and that made me realize okay if these people have this so much to lose then it's going to be part of me and it's something that i have to to deal with and you know that then i it got over that kind of you know I, you you used this term in an interview before, but like that that fetishized kind of version where it's 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 so powerful to you in those those few moments because you just allow yourself to be that, and it kind of it kind of goes away a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you find that um, India is much much harder to come out than in the United States? You've it's been much easier here, and you've found group and community. I would say that it is uh, hard for me. It was hard for me to come out in India, and especially in early 70s and 80s. India was not developed at all. And um, the interesting part about India is the Hijra community, which is 4,000-year-old culture, was accepted more. But unfortunately, I didn't identify with the Hijra community because it was very religious, and uh, they were performers and sex workers, mostly uh, living in the temple and trying to cater to some of the clients that way. So my life was not like that. You know, I, I went to college, I studied well, I've got a degree in computer science, my master's degree in computer science. And I wanted to live my life um, as a woman, as a professional, but it was really hard to come out in India because people will never give you a job and you cannot even walk in the street as a... Uh, and they always identify you as the Hijra community. Mm-hmm. So even if I'm learned and if, even if I have a PhD, if I walk in the streets like this today, people will immediately say you're a hijra and they'll start uh, discriminating me mm-hmm. and that's how it was those days 
I found it really hard to come out and I came out in this country. I have to be really thankful. But um, I have my own uh, stories uh, coming out in different parts of the states that I lived in. And some of them are really, really like North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, <laughs> Pennsylvania, you know, all the blue states. It was really hard for me to um, uh, say that it was really coming out. Though I came out, I was scared of my life too, because many times people call me names and um, they were confused seeing me on this, you know, in a Macy's. I would go to Macy's and they would like, that is not a woman, you know, that's a man, but why are you different, you know? That's the way they looked at me. And it was really hard for me, but I kept going. I can tell you that I just kept going. I'm like, I don't care. I'm here to show who I am and I'm just going to keep doing. And that's how it was. <laughs> do you think that, do you find that the way you're accepted by people has changed more because just time has passed more or because your confidence has changed and increased? I think it is. Um, you're right. It's the confidence also, you know, um, I was less confident when I first came out and I went to Trias. You know, we all know the Trias groups. So I went for the uh, Colorado Trias and I was there. Um, that was very, you know, that was one of my first uh, step where I felt a little more confident coming out. And it was good and I liked it. And slowly by, um, then I started coming out on my own. Um, that was the way I started doing it. The confidence level started increasing the more and more I started going out. And I don't think the confidence level would have come out, you know, just because I'm going out with friends, but it's, I wanted to go out and I went out alone many times because I didn't have friends, but I felt like, okay, I'm going to pass. So I was more focusing on passing, you know, passing was like a big thing at the time. Mm -hmm. I want to pass, I want to pass, and I want to pass like this woman, I want to pass like a woman, I want to talk like a woman. I was done with all that, you know, later in my life, but um, that was a phase where we all went through passing and... Uh, it was important at that time. It kind of gave me a, a confidence level, or I would say it was kind of pushing me to the edge to dress nicely and to present myself nicely. Mm. So it was helpful. So confidence level, of course, of course. And also the education, um, the media, everything started changing after a while. And people started focusing more, and more and more people started coming out. Though they have come out, I don't think it was publicized anywhere. You know, people came out, but... None of them knew that they were all learned. You know, they were uh, they were working in corporate industries. They were trying to come out, but they're still in the closet. Mm -hmm. So we didn't hear about all the stories. I think now it's it's all about stories. You know, people are coming out. We're having this talk show. We're having this uh, show basically because we want people to hear our voices. We want them to know that people like us exist and we are normal like anyone else. And, um, you know, we need to be accepted. These stories, the media, I would say, confidence level, I would say, and pushing ourselves to be out there also really helped me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that's kind of one thing that I found and, and one of the, mm -hmm. the key messages that I want to have for for people, for other trans people that are trying to come out, trying to figure out how to do it, is mm -hmm. it's important to, to do, like you said, to push yourself to to dress better and, and try and pass. Yeah, that that's kind of a, a right of passage for lack of something else without, without the pun but you know the, yeah the, the the confidence is is key and just going out and 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 being yourself and doing it but allowing yourself the flexibility again uh, allow it to be kind of a, a spectrum thing and allow it to be flexible where you know this week you feel confident to put on a dress and go out and next week maybe you don't maybe you maybe like some some tight-fitting pants is kind of the best you can do and you're too afraid to go beyond that and that's totally fine because you know maybe maybe the dress isn't your thing or maybe just this week you can't you can't handle it it's a little too much pressure to go and try and do that because uh, you don't feel like you can pass I still have it where um, it's getting better but but there are some days when I look in the mirror and I don't see Emily. I see, I see a man and mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's an incredibly dysphoric moment for me. And it kind of sends that, that panic. But luckily most of the time I do see Emily and I think it's gotten better over the last couple of years, but just, yeah. like I said, just allowing well, yourself to kind of like, like ebb and flow with it. Yeah. And I wanted to also add to it as, um, that's how we start, right? Passing is very important at the time. 
But now I've started uh, focusing on presenting myself. So I don't hide. I don't want to pass as a woman anymore. I want to present myself as a trans woman now. Mm-hmm. So I voluntarily go to um, when I go to grocery store. When I get a chance, someone will say, "Hey, I'm Celia, and I, I happen." They know that I'm trans, and I, when they ask me, they'll say, "Hey, um, so how's your day?" I'll say, "Oh, yeah, I had a good meeting today. I had some, you know, a trans conference." And then I start talking to them about, um, you know, and, and that gave me more confidence too. So passing was kind of it, kind of that's how I started, mm-hmm. and then it kind of took a low priority, and then. presenting myself fresh presenting my gender presenting my 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 you know the way i am in a nice way in a much dignified way was more important to me than just passing mm-hmm. because i don't want people to, i don't want to pass like a woman and what are you going to do i want to present myself and that is where the story comes out and they look at me and say wow oh, you look very dignified you look you look nice i love your skirt and for me um that is more important and then i start telling my story i say i'm a trans woman and i've done that in costco i've done it in best buy i've done it in um every places that i've gone to um i've started presenting and i've written uh, an article about passing versus presenting so yeah i just wanted to you know lay it out there before we get into the other topic but uh, my focus is not passing anymore it's about presenting myself mm-hmm. yeah I, i this is a, a little tangential to that but i'm um uh, finding that w- that confidence to be yourself that you're not presenting as a woman you're presenting as yourself that is the is the key my therapist at one point said well why don't you uh put on a dress and go out uh unshaven with without makeup on and i basically looked at her sideways and and, and just kind of laughed to myself like there's there's no way that will ever happen there's no chance because mm-hmm. that's it's it's too it's it um it's too in- incongruent you know mm-hmm. and so f- it's taken me a long time to be able to get to that point of like no i'm presenting as me today i didn't feel like putting makeup on which means you know i probably didn't shave either as so i got a little bit of stubble and that's and that's me plenty of women go out without putting makeup on and it's mm-hmm. fine so yeah yeah trying to get to that point of presenting as you not presenting as the gender you're trying to identify with it's very key right. And then I think again with them with that comes the confidence and then when you are put together and you are presenting well, you know, like like you said professionally and and with dignity and with the confidence, I think we 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 come a lot closer to passing than <laughs> than we yeah. uh, intend to at that point even. I've got a, yeah. a, a message here from one of the one of the viewers that was saying uh yeah the problem with, with transitioning is we rely on acceptance but with the years i found out that to to demand respect instead of looking for approval and exactly yeah and that's perfect all right yeah right. totally agree so one of the key things about you and your story is that you are married and that you've that these times transitioning in the states and coming out is also in the context of being married correct of course yeah and so how did so, um, how did that affect things go ahead. i'm sorry i didn't catch the last part sorry we were talking on each other uh, how did that how did being married affect your transition do you feel and your ability to come out it was because um you know i had an arranged marriage uh, in india and i wanted to tell my wife my future wife at the time about me and i told her that um uh, i you know we we were just having a discussion i didn't want to tell her because even at that time you won't believe it i thought this will go away if i get married maybe my wife will take away my femininity and i'll be okay because i was still in denial when i got married it was funny um but I truly believe that hope oh, it's going to go away you know because I'm going to be living with a woman now and so I my fantasies are going to go to her mm-hmm. I don't know what's the weird thing <laughs> I trust me it was really hard one year of our marriage was fine and then the second year of our marriage was so hard because his feelings started coming back um uh, and I, it kind of kept telling me that oh I could hear that white noise again that you are a woman you know you are you need to put on a dress and i couldn't do anything about it and i started hiding myself and 
um, you know, I, I, I did a lot of business travel and I was uh, managing uh, lots of businesses and millions of dollars. Even in my business life, I was not willing to come out because I had a good job with great respect. And at the same time, I was struggling uh, as a person. I was struggling deep inside. And I was um, I was not being, um, you know, I was struggling with my gender dysphoria. At the time, I didn't know what it was. I came out to my wife and um, at the um, this was in 2004 in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. The reason why I'm saying Jacksonville, Florida, because there's an interesting story to it. When I came out to her, I, the first thing I told her was this, sweetheart, I dress like a woman and I don't know. And she said, oh, you dress like a woman, it's fetish. You can get over it. You'll be fine. Go get some therapy, get some help. And I was like, oh, my God, what did I say? I, actually, it is not dressing. And I was trying to explain to her, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought maybe if I go and talk to a therapist, I might be able to get over Because I had a child at the time. I was having a little baby, and I, I was married. It was four years into our marriage, and I was um, doing well work-wise. And I wanted to have a, you know, I, I wanted to have a life of a cisgender man. I didn't want to be trans. It was really, really hard for me. And at the time, I remember um, talking to a trans, um, sorry, talking to a, a, a gay counselor in Florida. The, the gay counselor talked to me and uh, on the phone because at the time there was nobody you could talk to in person. You didn't find too many counselors who knew what is transgender. Mm -hmm. um, and I was talking to him and uh, he told me that you are a feminine gay. I told him, excuse me, I'm not interested in men. I like women. I want to be a woman, but I'm not interested in men. He said, no, a lot of gay folks live in denial and you're one of them. So that was so upsetting to me because I kind of felt like he didn't understand really what I was going through. No. He just dismissed me after two hours of conversation. And um, that, in fact, put me into a lot more thought process as to... And then I met another uh, trans doctor in Arizona and she looked at me and she said, Ilya, are you happy? And I said, yeah, I'm happy. And she said, if you transition, you'll be more happy. And I looked at myself and I thought, who are these people telling me what to do? This is my life. When I transition, if I have a problem, you're not going to be there. And I need to decide on my own. I am a biologist. I, was, I worked on human, you know, human genome projects. If I don't understand what is wrong with my chromosomes or what is wrong with my physiology, my, my anatomy, my biology... No one else will. So I started studying all these articles. I started studying a lot of these articles about why trans people behave that way. What is, what's going on in their MRI? John Hopkins, I took Stanford articles. And these are research articles, not just some Google stuff. Mm -hmm. I started reading more and more I'd read. I understood a lot more uh, at the time that we behave, we express as, we dress in another, um, in a cross out, you know, we cross-dress. At the time, I thought I was a cross-dresser, right? So we, I, I didn't know that the reason I was wearing a woman's clothing is because there is something in me that is telling me that I'm a woman. It is not because I felt good about being uh, wearing a dress, but I felt good about expressing that gender. You know, that is what was important to me. And once I understood that part of it, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. So it took a while, it took a lot of toll, and I, I was trying to discover myself, and I kept on telling my wife that, hey, sweetheart, I think I know who I am, I think I know what I am, and um, and then she asked me, so what's going to happen to you, you know, are you, and she, she was worried that I um, she didn't know what to talk about, she didn't want to talk to me about my, my gender identity, because it was making her uncomfortable, and she is a cisgender woman, my daughter's cisgender at the time too. I, I was really, really struggling at the time. I didn't know how to lead my family life. And I love my wife so much, you know, I, I still do. Um, and um, I, at the time, I, uh, I I kept telling her that, um, sweetheart, I'm going through some problems. I don't know how to tell you, but it's not dressing. It's something beyond that. And by the time I was in California, I thank California for that. <laughs> because I had so many friends. I could talk to people. And then I understood that I didn't hate my male anatomy, my male, my my birth gender, uh, but I liked my preferred gender a lot more than my birth gender. Mm -hmm. A lot of trans folks were telling me at the time that you need to transition, but I did not want to because I still liked that part because that connected me with my wife and my daughter. 
And my daughter, I came out to her when she was 15 years old. And she said, Dad, um, are you going to be, uh, am I going to call you mom or what's going to happen, you know? And I, I looked at her face and I saw that she's going to miss her dad. It was so heartbreaking to me. And I said, sweetheart, no matter what happens, I'm going to be a dad. You know, it's not going to, nothing's going to change. I don't care about these pronouns. I'm going to be a father, your dad. And my, um, and I told my wife, um, you know, sweetheart, I, I, I'm still your husband, not going to change. So that gave her more confidence. And in my mm. journey, I would say in my transition, it's more of a family transition that I had. I have not had medical transition. I'm not, I've not even taken HRT, hormones, nothing. <laughs> I've never done that in my life. But it's just my preference. You know, it's not that I, I don't support people who do that. I counsel a lot of people and I tell them that, you know, do what is right for you. But as you asked uh, rightly, in my transition, my wife uh, was not accepting. My daughter accepted me in 25 minutes. My wife took 17 years to understand me. And I tell her today proudly that, sweetheart, I'm going to be Celia today. And she'd be like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, because she knows and she trusts me now so much. Um, so that is what is important to me, you know. And it's not about me all the time, but my family is important. And I've been married for 23 years and we are still married. We still live in the same house. And I go back and I even I can even talk to my wife about this television, inter I mean, this interview. I can tell her that what happened today and that is the most important thing. It's such a great relief that, you know, you can do that. And to me, that is more, it's a paramount, it's huge than, um, you know, the other things that I worry about in my life. That's so amazing. Yeah. I wasn't able to do that with my marriage. I, I think the, the key that you, you struck that the thing that you found there is, is that trust you know, when you come out to somebody close to you in your family, especially somebody that, that relies on you so much for so mm -hmm. much, uh, you know, personally, you know, she needed her husband. She needed that, mm -hmm. that rock there in her life still. And she was afraid of losing that. So being able to express that, that, that trust and confidence in her and just say, you know, I'm, you're not going to lose that. That'll still be there, but you know mm -hmm. this will be a part of it too. That's that's pretty amazing, and that, and that's very key. Like I said, I wasn't able to to strike that in my marriage, again because I wasn't able to define it. It it came together for me at a, at a at a point where it was it was I was still so confused, and it took years after the marriage before I was able to you know put it all together. I had the, a similar experience that you did, but with a with a girlfriend after my marriage where I was dating her and I, I figured the same thing I, I'm with a girl and so I can live vicariously through her I can buy her pretty things and you mm -hmm. know all, all of that stuff and then it just kind of kept coming back of like I just really want to paint my nails I, I you know there, there are so many parts of the expression of it that I I really felt I needed to do and if if you can't find that balance if you can't instill the trust in your partner that you know <laughs> things aren't going to change so drastically for them. Yeah. And if, if you can't, on the other side, if you can't allow yourself to express those things, if you feel locked in, then you just kind of resent the other person. And, and you know, I think that's why a lot of relationships break down when faced with this, because it's so hard. So some people find it hard to do that, to say, no, you're, you're not losing anything. We're just, we're gaining. <laughs> I know. I think uh, I'm more thankful to my wife for, accepting me you know that was really hard for her and mm -hmm. that's why i'm blessed i feel so blessed for having a woman like that in my life unfortunately not more many of us have that privilege you now we yeah we sometimes don't get to have that that's i really feel for you so what I'm kind of, you know, oh, oh, I'm, uh, so what kind of work do you do as an advocate for trans and non-binary people so in my profession, I am a management consultant. I've uh, been a consultant for Fortune 500 companies and uh, Fortune 100 and Top 5. I've worked with all these consulting firms, IT firms. I've worked with clinical research, um, managed millions of dollars uh, across the globe. I've done um, outsourcing and developed a lot more in the business world. I was very successful in my business world. Um, 
And I, uh, at a point, I felt like I need to do something more. And um, I remember there was a turning point in my life. Um, I remember going to a transgender day of remembrance. And um, I stood in the end of the hall and I was crying because I felt like people like me, you know, a person of color could get killed in this country because the people hate you. And that was a big wake-up call for me. And um, I thought, I don't want to die, you know, I don't want to die in my life just working for a corporate company. I don't want to be a CEO of a company that's earning money. I want to do something for people like me. And how do I do it? Where do I start? I started coming out in my company. I started coming out as gender fluid, which is very interesting. So I came to, I went to the LGBTQ group and I sat with them and I said, hey, I'm gender fluid. And I was in a suit when I was talking to them. And they looked at me and said, can we see in a sari tomorrow, Celia? Can we? Um, they called me Daniels at the time. Mm-hmm. Can we see in a sari, Daniel? I was like, mm, no, it doesn't work that way. This is not Halloween. <laughs> you know, it's, it doesn't work that way. But um, when I feel like, you know, I want to come out and I want you to know that this is how people are. There are a lot of people like me who are gender non-binary. Um, they want to identify in a gender neutral way. They want to identify as a man or sometimes they want to be in their birth gender, preferred gender. And almost 27% of the youth in California are coming out this way. And, uh, you know, the companies have to be ready. And so when I started doing that, I started becoming an advocate in my own company. And I found that, you know, after a while, I, I found these companies just have a pink washing going on. You know, it's like, a, oh, yeah, we, we love you and all that stuff. But uh, honestly, they don't change the policies. So I started going out and I started learning about policies. You know, what is what is it that we need to do to change this? And I took some of my business ideas and I gave it to Translatino Coalition. I worked with TransCan Work, uh, worked with different organizations. I even went to the Democratic Club and I came out in a Democratic Club and I told them that, hey, I want to do something. I want you to be my ally. And how do you do it? You know, I can educate you. And this is how I, I can do it. So I started taking my business ideas and I started um, uh, putting a, a structure to it. And I said, you know, if I'm a trans person, Oh, what are the change that uh, we can do around me? So here's where, you know, the school board is important. The college is important. The workplace is important. Healthcare is important. Uh, immigration policies, you know, incarceration. If you're looking at housing, you know, and, and I started going into every detail and I put a big plan for them. And uh, California Endowment was like super thrilled when they saw my idea. They said, hey, can we borrow your idea? Hmm. Sure. So it was, it was very organic, you know, I started, um, all my business ideas, when I started looking at a non-profit, uh, I started giving them ideas, and they, they never had people like me come and talk to them. And um, I also took this idea to India, and uh, I was starting to work with companies in India. For instance, we have I'm an office here, and how IBM in India has worked with When I was working with the diversity and children part of the uh, groups, and I found it's very different. Uh, in India, because casteism, it's not about a culture, it's not about race, it's casteism also plays um, uh, a role. There. So I, I organically fell into it and I started working with a lot of organizations and then started starting, I started support here. And we call it Fluid, um, a support group where you had gender non binary, you have people coming to this group, and it was predominantly in game. And uh, we changed the BFAC format and we renamed BFAC as Fluid. And we did that in Simi Valley here. And then I also started working with uh, Indivisible Kaneho. Um, these are the organizations that I work and It's an organization that fights for civil rights. Mm-hmm. So I looked at gun lobbying. You know, what is the gun violence that happens? And how can I stand for them? One thing that I found in all my activism is when you fight for a cause, you kind of find intersectionalities in that cause. It's not about you all the time, but you stand hand in hand like Black Lives Matters. And I was, uh, I know, I start, I started studying about Black Lives Matters, and I started wanted to be there for my friends who are black, and also trans community who are black. So I found a lot of intersectionalities there. Mm-hmm. And when you start working with one nonprofit, believe it or not, it just connected with all nonprofits. Like homelessness was a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. So homelessness along California, LA is huge, and now I started looking at homelessness for LGBTQ folks. And within the LGBTQ folks, I started focusing on homelessness for the transgender community. So it was very interesting working with Pacifica, lots of other Casa Pacifica, uh, LA LGBTQ Center. So it just spontaneously, you know, just started coming out. And I was like, I then realized that what am I doing? Um, I'm not doing my work. <laughs> so I started, I quit my job and I started my own company. 
Um, and and now I, I I start doing doing freelancing so that I'll have more time on my activism as well. Mm. Uh, fortunately, my wife is working, and I've uh, I'm in a position in my life where I have, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of settled in my life. And I thought, you know, if I want to do something the rest of my life, this is what I want to do. I told my wife the same thing, sweetheart. If I start a nonprofit, it will be to help nonprofit and connect nonprofits together. especially for transgender community mm-hmm. focusing mm-hmm. only on transgender community both in US and in India so that is how i started getting into the whole thing uh, i love that I, lo- i love how the story starts with you being an advocate for yourself and then it kind of chains into that and then it sort of seems like the matrix right where you see all these mm-hmm. different individual groups but you see how they all interconnect and they they, they yeah. have the, the trans thread throughout and how you can help Uh, people through all of these different areas that's pretty wonderful how has yeah. being active in transgender rights and 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 those different areas with those different charities how has that helped you with your confidence and and feeling valid as a trans uh, as a non-binary person i think the validity first comes when we first accept ourselves you know i didn't accept myself for a very long time and uh, i remember in 2001 i was in uh, vegas i had gone for a business trip and i was sitting in my room hotel room and crying because i wore this dress and i went out i went out across the strip I came back to my room and i started crying you know i i know we everybody in this call we have been through that situation we have gone out and come back to our hotel rooms and i started crying that night because i didn't find joy in that you know i was like what am i doing um and um and and i found that i i did not accept myself at the time i didn't want to accept myself as trans at the time mm-hmm. i just wanted to just dress up and just be happy with it um but then i found out that once i started i i literally started praying you won't believe it <laughs> you know as a christian for me i find a lot of peace in prayer and meditation so i prayed and i said god if you made me like this you deal with it why am i worried about it <laughs> you know i'm not going to deal with it because your bible says in psalms that i'm fearfully and wonderfully made if you made me as this way you figure it out and i and i started praying that way and i started accepting myself that was a huge validity mm-hmm. and i started finding more confidence in it because i didn't want anybody to validate me i didn't want anyone to say that oh you are trans or you are that or this um but i found that peace within myself first and once that happened it kind of gave me a boost like 50% to 60% of boost and then i had these trans organizations and i uh, you know that's what was the beginning for me to kind of gave me the validity um and i felt good about myself so i i didn't focus on myself then after that i started focusing on people like me i started from inside and then i started um um so it was from inside out and then from outside and you know people helping me uh, when i help them mm-hmm. so when i see a trans person uh, trying to get a job and i try to help the person get a job in fact it's like a self care for me it kind of healed me a lot i felt that healing and saw the joy in that person's face um just by listening to that person uh, on a phone in india this person said i did not have anybody listening to me for the past 30 years you took the phone and you're listening to me and for me uh, i was thinking i the least i can do is to listen to somebody who is struggling and why don't i do that and i started doing now but at the time um you know those are the things that can help me to feel um good about myself and i know we all can do that right because mm-hmm. it's not about us and while we are doing it if we can help another person and just follow along even my makeup i have done a lot of makeup sessions with my friends they ask me how do you do makeup and i'll be like my focus is not that but if it really helps you and if it helps us connect i'm going to teach you that so you know i've done all kinds of uh, stuff but i just love um you know the, just to help people and that's how what my parents were and i think it just comes from my my parents too <laughs> yeah now it's a, it's a good set of values that they instilled but um, I yeah i i just love how it it's so helpful it it it's reciprocal you know us helping other people and and how they help us that's wonderful 
Um, so in, in your work with other trans people and trying to help them, what are some of the common themes that you have heard from them? What are the, the, some of the, the common thoughts and fears or struggles and issues that we, we seem to all run into? I think if I take the issues um, currently, the youngsters are more worried about the future. You know, especially the young trans folks are really worried about the future because they find a lot of um, oppression, bullying, and cyber um, cyberbullying. Lots of things happening, murders happening. We already had 14 murders in U.S. now, person of color, just in 2020. In 2019, there were there were almost 30 trans folks who were killed. Um, so the youngsters are all trying to come out, and they find that. People like us, you know, if we cannot give them that confidence and faith and that hope, they will, they're, they're kind of worried about a lot of these things. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to work a lot with the youth, trans youth, and, um, you know, help them. And the second thing that I'm also doing is building allies, trying to build allies within our community where people are supportive to us. The third thing I'm doing is, since I'm a Christian, I'm trying to educate the evangelical Christian community, which is the most difficult community, um, because they have this bias. <laughs> I know we all can relate to it, right? Because um, my wife told me, uh, I'm in the church board, uh, you know, as Daniel, I'm in a church board, and um, I was the only person who stood up for LGBTQ community out of the seven people. I was the only person. And, my wife, and I said, I told my wife, it's kind of getting a toll, toll on my head, and I'm going to resign. I don't want to be in this board. And my wife stood by me and she, she said, you have been through this and if you don't speak up, these morons, these people will take advantage of every person like you and you have to speak up. And I stood in the board meeting and I spoke about people like me. I said, you know what, I, I'm a big advocate for the trans community and I feel that they really need God and we are just shunning them away. And I started talking about it and I had four more people join me and you know we had a big vote and they can we finally voted to take off all the LGBTQ mission statement out of the church. It kind of threw it out of the window. And I felt so good about it because I had my wife support me on that. So to answer to your point, um, and so the Christian community is the third part of it where I'm trying to uh, work more. And of course, the corporate world is important to me because I'm from the corporate industry. And I feel that a lot of things, work has to be done because corporate companies are very, uh, very good in manipulating. You know, they want branding, a lot of branding. And if you're trans, they immediately take you and then they brand you saying that, oh, we have trans person here. Look at this person. We have a trans person. It was two thumbs up. And that's how they got their HRC score to be 100%. Uh, CEI index, right? Corporate Equality Index is 100% for these companies. And they don't even have gender neutral bathrooms. They don't even have policies for gender neutral people. And when trans community is still struggling. Out of the five floors in one of the clients site that I'm working, they have one gender neutral bathroom out of five floors where there are almost like 20 bathrooms which are for male and female. And I asked them, you got a corporate equality score of 100% and why is, you, is it that you have only one gender neutral bathroom? And they said, oh, Celia, we are working on it. I said, how long are you working on it? It's been like five years. I've seen your corporate index score as 100%. And I spoke to HRC. I asked those folks saying that, you guys have an idea. How do you even score these companies? You know, I don't see that in a right way. I started speaking out. You know, that is one thing that gave me confidence. And even as Daniel or even as Celia, it didn't matter to me. And even when I present myself as Daniel in certain companies, I, so I was still advocating for the trans community. And when I was Celia, I was still advocating for the trans community, but with more power because this was a shame that I carried through. Mm. And I, I actually went to my own clients and I did a panel for them as Celia. And they Googled my LinkedIn site and they looked at Daniel's, not Celia. The CIO of a company, he knew me as Daniel. He didn't know Celia. It was interesting that uh, he wrote back to me on Celia. I sent him a friend request and he said, um, we were talking about you in our leadership meeting today. And I, I said, I hope it was good. <laughs> and he said, yeah, it was positive. But I want you to know that uh, I'm really happy to hear your story. And uh, I think I was scared to come out in my company. And I then went back to work as Daniel. I went back to work as Celia. I have gone to my clients at Celia. We didn't have problems because they knew me as Celia now. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to do that. I'm able to navigate between both genders. And... Um, uh, it is hard, but I'm trying, and I'm trying to change companies. Now. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, oh. I, we've seen that. You know, my my company was trying to make some of those changes too for both for LGBT, but also for um, the diversity in general, and. Mm-hmm. You know the that that's it. We were running to that same thing where the company was outwardly doing things. They were saying the right things and all of that, but there wasn't the the follow up on it. So from the inside, you know, when you've got that, where, where externally the company is lauded as a great place for you know for diversity, and inside you're not you know, feeling that, then I I feel like it it further invalidates you it it it, it, it hurts more yeah. when it's like well the outside world thinks that it's so great for us and it's like it's not it's not there yet so i love that you're actually working to equalize that and, and actually bring those together so that it, it does match i mean i wanted to bring one point there. um you know when i was when i had not come out as danny i mean as celia in my workplace um i used to be in the business meetings in the happy hours and i used to be sitting with my colleagues and they will talk trash about trans community mm. and they will say look into you know I don't understand this policy a man walking into the bathroom as a woman and saying I'm a woman and I was sitting quietly and listening to them those days <clears throat> when I uh, in the sense that uh, when I had not come out and I was always afraid that people would read me and kind of think that oh I am probably trans or whatever but uh, after I started coming out boldly and whenever even in my friend circle, when we have happy hour, they will always know that Daniel is, <coughs> sorry, Daniel is a trans advocate. And I think that was a huge change for me. And that made a huge change. So for me, uh, people, it, the only thing I, I said was, I went for the rally, I went for trans can work, I went for the trans job fair. And they know everything about what a Daniel would do, but they didn't know Celia part of it. So I introduced that as well. But I think it's important for us to speak out when someone throws our community down, when they talk trash about us, mm. when we are we still have not come out, when we're still living in the closet, we can come out. We can at least stand up for people like us. And that is a big change. And that is a start for us to do. Yeah, it, it, it's very important. It's it's so hard because, yeah, you're sitting in those, those groups and the... Yeah the herd mentality or whatever just just the 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 way that a group works where someone <clears throat> throws out something like that that that's kind of hateful maybe they don't even mean it to be hateful but it, it's it's a complete lack of understanding and caring for that type of of person whatever um whatever slice of life that they're bagging on at the time and it's so mm-hmm. easy for the rest of the herd to just go along with that and and to clump on to one to belong but also because they have the same fears and lack of understanding of those those types of people so that's one of the things that i found in coming out and living fully as myself that helped give me that mm-hmm. confidence is you know just me being out and presenting confidently as myself is showing people that a lot of what they think is wrong and i and i find a lot of importance mm-hmm. in that of course. Let's see. I think that we covered that. Um, what's? Um, I think we're kind of wrapping down to the end here. What What are some things that you like to share with young and closeted trans people to help them on their path? I would like to say two things. One is um, what I found out in my journey is... We all have our own journeys you know we don't uh, my journey is not yours my journey is not Emily's Emily's journey is not mine but we all have our own journey and we need to find out what our journey is so the um, the way I illustrate that is uh, when you take a train from New York to LA uh, not everybody goes to LA sometimes you might get on in Denver sometimes you might get on in some other station because that is your home um, your, your home is not LA so many times the trans community always tells you that when you get into the train at, in New York, you always come down and get on in New York, in LA. But that's not the case. Just choose what is important for you, and that's your journey. And no matter what it is, you know, even if you're fifty percent out, you're you're ten percent out, you're not even out. You're still living in the closet. It doesn't matter. But it's your journey. Respect that little bit of what you do, and enjoy that femininity. So one thing that I always say is that gender identity is in your head and it's not the physical appearance, it's not the surgical transformation that gives you a gender identity. 
gender identity is deep within your heart. Mm-hmm. And when you find that true happiness, it makes you feel really good about yourself. And that is what I always tell people. Don't go around searching for validation from other people. You validate yourself. You be in the car, you be in the driver's seat, you take the lead, and that'll help you. Because, um, you know, we are living in times which are so hard. Uh, So many policies. I'm glad that Supreme Court had uh, ruled out the transgender discrimination for healthcare patients. We are living in hard times. I don't know what else will be going to Supreme Court and how many of them will be voting. It was a six versus three. I don't know how it's going to be in the future. Mm. But um, we all have a future. And I believe that I have been through difficult times. For 47 years, I've struggled in my life. And I finally know that, um, you know, I've gone through ups and downs, both in India and here. And I've seen even India change. And now when I went back to India, people are so happy to see me. Um, Though I have some discrimination here and there, um, the world is changing. Um, People are getting educated. Mm -hmm. I think we have hope. We cannot lose hope. Um, And just be yourself. Just be joyful. Enjoy your femininity the maximum, whatever it is, you know, whatever form. And I remember one time when my daughter was pregnant and my wife was at home, my in-laws were all there. I could not dress up at home. I remember wearing a skirt in my car over my um, over my trousers. And I was driving home and I was just going around the street in circles because I enjoyed that femininity. I remember those times and I think about it and I thought that, that little five minutes gave me so much joy. No, that's how it is. Enjoy, you know, be joyful, enjoy your femininity, and we have hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I think it's, it, you know, adding on to that, I think it's really important. It, it's hard to find a lot of that confidence and to, to allow that joy sometimes because, again, you feel you have the, all these negative things, but really lean into that mm-hmm. and allow yourself to enjoy that. And seek out stories as many stories as of other trans people as you can because i i find that the more stories i listen to the more it it mirrors what i go through the more confidence i get because i'm like oh i'm not alone there there are there are so many other people that go through similar things and so i i I would just say that yeah listen to as many stories as you can go and find as many people as you can and just hear what they have to say about their journey and you know, if if you're not at a point where you can come out yet, or you're com- you're confident, or like I said, you know, those little little moments of joy, if they cause you so much despair because you feel so bad about them, then just keep educating yourself about um, what other people are going through and what their stories are. That's why I wanted to do this show. Is I I just feel like every story has something in it that that either is something new or reverberate something that I've felt and, and helps me feel better about myself. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I'll, I'll kind of open the floor to you. I think you had some other points you, you wanted to bring up. I leave, I leave the floor to you and I'll. Um, so I was just um, doing some activism on Black Lives Matters and uh, also especially with the trans um, Black Lives Matters. So I'm educating myself a lot on that space and trying to help the trans community, you know, especially with Pride season and then Black Lives Matter. It's all at the same time, and um, so I, as much as we are, we care about you know Black Lives Matter. It's very important right now. Um, I was also talking about some of the trans folks who are being killed and um, you know the discrimination that is happening. So um, I've been trying to educate some of the allies and. Uh, different groups on LinkedIn um, about what's going on in the trans community. The interesting thing is I see a lot of companies talk about DNI, and there are champions and there are a lot of cisgender people who are telling our stories. They want you to be there and they want to tell our stories. And I find that so hurtful because um, our stories are ours and uh, nobody can take that away. They can give us a platform to tell our stories, but I find that a lot of them are TED speakers because they talk about Black Lives Matters and they are some of them are white, some of them are Latinos, you know, anybody, you know, whatever. Um, some of them are brown people also. They are talking about. I've seen a lot of women talk about trans community, and I'm like, okay, um, I I hear you, but um, when I start talking to them, sometimes the pronouns they use 
I was talking to one big advocate today who's a cisgender man, and he was using the word transgendered, and I kept telling him it's not transgendered, and um, and he kept on telling man, if a man becomes a woman, a man becomes a woman, and I was thinking, you have a non-profit on your own, and you're not able to um, even understand what is going through, because you're not telling our story correctly. You're not representing me correctly. And I got into call and I educated him today. And I think that's what we need to do. You know, we need to tell our story. Even if you feel like um, you want to share a little bit of your experience. The first time going out, I went out first time. I had so much joy. I had so much fun. I put on makeup. I enjoyed. Those stories are amazing, you know, because a lot of people today, they remember me for the past 25 years. And some of them were little kids when they were, uh, when they saw me, they used to tell me, this is in India. They tell me that Celia, we always admired your way in which you wrote your stories because you shared about, uh, you know, coming out and dancing in a skirt. We really loved your blogs, reading about it. And I think it's important for us, everybody today, um, even if we are advocates, you know, most of us in the call, we have always, we have been through that. You know, we have been there, we have done that. But we have to educate our our our, our colleagues, our peers, our, our friends who are struggling. And when we do that, I think that gives us so much, um, you know, it helps us. It kind of heals us also. And also, most important thing, you know, self-care is really important. Mm. I'm not saying don't self-care. Uh, for me, self-care is like super important. I go to the beach and sit down for hours together and just meditate or, you know, look at the ocean and just sit there because I love it. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So self-care is really important. So please take care of your health. It's so, so important. If you cannot take care of your health and you cannot help people, you know, it's so hard. So take care of yourself. And uh, we all are in the same fight, the same battle. So, and also focus on intersectional identities and your when we are trans, we can help someone who's homeless trans. When we are trans, we can help someone who is, um, um, you know, fighting for healthcare. But today, I remember I was actually uh, talking to a group of therapists mm-hmm. here in Kalihabadi, and I was talking about gender dysphoria, and I was writing something about that, and I tell, I told them my story. Very simple. I said, I had gender dysphoria, my wife understands, and so I hope you can understand gender dysphoria. And I, I sent them a little video. And I, 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 that's what I do, you know, simple things um, and simple ways to help uh, community to uh, help us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, anything we can do to empower ourselves, our community, we need to keep on doing it. And I love doing it. Yeah, that's so wonderful. I love it. On on that note, is there are there other things that you'd like to promote? I have your Twitter and yeah. Instagram down at the bottom at, at Celia at Celia San Daniels but on both Twitter and Instagram but what other things would you like to promote? I want to promote only one thing and uh, that is the organization called Sahodri Foundation um, I can put that in my blog or you can send it out later okay. so this is the trans organization that I work with India and um, there's a big there's another huge trans advocate in India, her name is Kalki, Dr. Kalki Subramaniam so when I said I would work with um, trans organizations in India, I work through trans. Um, I work through this organization. It's called Sahodri. Sahodri means sisters. So Sahodri Foundation. Um, it, it's a big organization. It's a very small organization, but they help in a big way. They're making changes in government policies. They are also building allies. They um, do a lot of activism through art and how do you help uh, community through art. So that is one organization that I work with. Visit their websites. Um, I can give you that. Uh, it's sahodrifoundation.org. Can you spell that for us? Can you yeah, spell that for Sahodri. us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Yeah, S A D O R A I. Sahodri Foundation. Dot. Org. It's, um, it's, it's an amazing organization. They do a lot of work. Um, they've actually went and painted a, you know, the transgender community in India, they went and painted a school, a rural school. And the children started coming to the school because the entire community felt like, you are all trans people. Why are you doing this? And they said, no, we want to help your children to come to school because it's education is important. It's amazing how trans community can actually go and change the life of another community. 
you know, something beautiful stories they have done, and I really, really love this organization. Awesome. And I was the international ambassador for two years, and uh, I'm still volunteering and uh, supporting them today. That's wonderful. Yeah, I was able to found to find it, and they have they just um, they have the simpler URL, just so so sohodori org. Yeah. So I put that in the oh, yeah, chat thank for everybody. You. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Awesome. Well, Celia, thank you so much for coming on and being willing to do this first off and then also being willing and flexible to fill in today. I, I'm so glad we had a guest, <laughs> period. But uh, I, I also think it was a great show. I've gotten some great feedback in the chat already. Everybody loved watching you. So thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. And uh, Thank you so much. Thank you to all my viewers and uh, you know I love you all so much and thank you so much for listening to my story. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash the transverse and be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support the transverse, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash the transverse.